a long time ago. It's the ship that made the castle run in less than 12 parts and the great disturbance of the force. I told you she would never partially betray the rebellion. That's no move. Caught in a trap and it's pulling us in. Adapted from the original Rough Draft screenplay by George Lucas, The Star Wars! On a wild jungle planet Yavin, Princess Leia was captured by slave trappers and turned over to the Empire, enlisting the aid of the savage Wookiees that Jedi-in-training Anakin Starkiller had befriended Jedi General Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, ambushed Imperial tanks and used them to attack the Imperial's own fort. Determined to rescue the princess Starkiller loves, he and the droid R2 fly an Imperial Star fighter to Darth Vader's space fortress, while Skywalker and Solo train the Wookiee warriors in the basics of piloting starfighters. Both aspects of the plan are desperate and dangerous. Arriving in orbit above Aqualai, the disguised star killer successfully infiltrates the space fortress, but is soon discovered. Now, every stormtrooper on the station is on alert, searching for him. And thus begins... The Star Wars Volume 1 Issue Number 8. The exciting conclusion to this The Star Wars Saga. Our writer is Jonathan W. Rinsler. Our penciler is Mike Mayhew. Letterer is Michael Heisler. Colorist is Rain Barreto. And our cover artist is Nick Runge. We open up with Anakin Starkiller having infiltrated the floating space fortress that is all over on the dark side of Aqualai, making its approach. He is in full-blown stormtrooper gear. Anakin grows impatience with the ill-fitting helmet on his stormtrooper gear and quickly creates a diversion, knocking out several stormtroopers and removing the helmet in frustration, saying, neither helmet fits. Luke was right. I do have a swelled head, but I've got to find Leia and fast. And the game is on. Now that he's revealed himself and with all of the closed circuit televisions within that entire space station, quickly his identity is revealed and the hunt is on. On the fortress right now, you have Prince Valorum, the Sith, who was brought in to hunt down Starkiller and the other Jedis. Meanwhile, you have Darth Vader, the general, who is able to capture Luke and bring him into an interrogation cell where he asked Prince Valorum to conduct the interrogation, understanding that the Jedi have many a trick. So once Luke is gassed, sedated, and then brought into this interrogation cell, we then do a cutscene to General Skywalker, along with Han Solo and Chewbacca and this entire fleet, of Wookiee starfighters that are out there and quickly approaching the fortress. And they are talking to their fellow rebels down on Aqualai, who are to shut off the communications capability between the ground troops down on Aqualai and the space fortress that Darth Vader is coming in on. They set their plan in motion. There are several explosions that go off. And of course, the exchange before all of this happens of may the force of others be with you is invoked by many of these rebels as they are now launching their plan to disrupt the empire and to free Aqualai. 
their plan is successful on the ground. Now it's to the air and into space with General Skywalker, Chewbacca, and Han Solo bringing the fleet to to Darth Vader. And in the interrogation room, you have an interesting exchange. We've come to inform him of his fate, says Vader. For all the trouble he has caused us, this Jedi doesn't seem like much. Does he, Governor Hodak? Your easy capture and public imprisonment should end the Jedi myth once and for all. Prince Valorum, the Sith, may be next. Take the Jedi prisoner to Alderaan. I'm sure the Emperor will enjoy his execution. My only regret is that I won't be there myself. And those words are uttered by the Governor, Hodak. Meanwhile, the rebel fleet approaches and an alarm is sound. At which you have Darth Vader saying, Full alert battle stations. With that... Where is the prisoner transport? Being below. Battle stations. Personnel. Battle stations. And then all of the sudden, Prince Florum the Sith employs his lightsaber and also utilizing his Sith powers gets Anakin's lightsaber out of the clutches of the security team and into his hand. Stand back. Jedi and Sith must settle this honorably, and they stage a lightsaber duel in front of the entire security detail. But while this happens, Valorum goes ahead and cuts away the bindings for Starkiller so he can defend himself and also participate in this lightsaber battle. But very quickly, you have Prince Valorum turn his attention to the security detail and fight against the forces of tyranny. Your technique needs work, Star Star Killer. Watch me and learn. What will you teach me? Cruelty? A Sith murdered my brother. Didn't he pay with his life? And then there's this exchange, this philosophical exchange between Prince Valorum and also Anakin Starkiller, and Anakin's insistence on going to Princess Leia's holding cell and freeing her. Valorum imploring with him to get on a transport and get off this fortress. It's about to be under attack. Well, what ends up happening is Anakin is persistent in his desire to get Leia. Valorum understanding that he still would like to get Anakin into the fold of the Sith decides to assist him, help him out. So he is able to tell Anakin what cell the princess is in. Meanwhile, we cut away, and all of a sudden we see the fleet of Wookiees. We have General Skywalker and Han Solo all coming in and going down those iconic channels to bomb this space fortress. Very reminiscent of the Death Star scenes where you're heading down uh, the tunnels, the chutes, if you will, and Luke is renting himself to go ahead and get those photon torpedoes in and blow up the Death Star. Very much the same thing is happening here. However, the real hero in all of this, as far as blowing up of this space fortress, this space station, is none other than Chewbacca. Now, I do not know if this was indeed part of that original script from George Lucas. This comic book series 
espouses that, yes, this was taken right from it. However, I would not be surprised, given the fan service that this particular book wanted to do, that maybe perhaps this twist in the plot was something that was inserted by this writing team and allowing Chewbacca to have his day in the sun. Because one of the biggest gripes that many of us Star Wars fans had when we originally saw the film in 1977 was, hey... Luke got a medal, and Han got a medal, but why didn't Chewie get a medal? And why weren't the droids recognized for their heroism? But really, the the biggest slight in all of that was Chewbacca. Why didn't Chewbacca get a medal for his heroism and freeing Princess Leia and getting her out of harm's way and then their participation in helping Luke and having his back as he was blowing up the Death Star? So this was a way to actually write maybe perhaps a story wrong and create that fan service here within this comic. And I thought it was great. I I, I thoroughly bought into it being a long-time Star Wars fan. When we have Anakin Starkiller go to Princess Leia's holding cell, she is there laying across the uh, bed area, very similarly to how Luke finds Leia. The exchange is similar, except... By this time, Anakin Starkiller already has his helmet off, so she knows exactly who it is. It's Anakin. They do end up going down a garbage chute as their only way out of the cell block. But again, within this time is Valorum, the Sith, along with them, down into the trash compactor. When they get down to the trash compactor, Vader senses that they're down there through his cameras. So he starts up the compactor, begins crushing in. Meanwhile, the assault is happening on the Death Star, And what happens in this fortress is the Wookiees end up knocking out portions of the power and the trash compactor stops. Meanwhile, they're able to escape out of the trash compactor. The remainder of the fortress is blown up. But just as they are able to escape, they make it out safely on a ship join up with the rest of the Rebels and are down on Aqualai. And our ending scene is one of Chewie receiving his medal after Anakin Starkiller had already received his medal. And you also have General Skywalker having received his medal and everyone being then a part of Aqualai now with Princess Leia assuming the throne saying, uh, Anakin Starkiller, the new Lord Protector of Aqualai. Hooray! Long live Aqualai. Long live freedom. And the end scroll, and this is wonderful, as word of the destruction of the Space Fortress spread, a thousand new systems joined Queen Leia and the Rebellion, causing a significant crack in the Great Wall of the Galactic Empire. The acts of Skywalker and Starkiller once again sparked fear in the hearts of the greedy and malevolent, and a new sense of liberty, not felt for a hundred years, swept through the hearts of all. But our hero's greatest adventure was yet to take place, the one which would be known as Saga of the Opochi. And that ends our saga here, our eight-issue chronicling of that original screenplay adaptation, The Star Wars. I thoroughly enjoyed this read. I'm so glad that we took the break from the original series sequence of comics to then go back in time and cover 
this era and what that original script could have been. And it was fantastic that it got a comic book adaptation. For every Star Wars fan out there, it's a real interesting insight into George Lucas's original thinking about the story. I loved the digital art that was in this book. It was fantastic. Sometimes that can be a little overdone, look to be too polished, too overproduced. I think this was a great blending of those digital images and then artistry on top of those photorealistic faces throughout the book. The reveals of what that original Han Solo character was looking like, that greenish alien. Chewbacca being a little different looking, really taking from those Ralph McQuarrie images. You saw quite a bit of Ralph McQuarrie-inspired imagery finding its way here into the Star Wars, as well as some of those callbacks to episodes 1, 2, and 3 that we would see in the prequels. And again, this was done before the prequels had come out. So I'm wondering if some of those conceptual art pieces maybe weren't used in Star Wars were then applied to The Phantom Menace, Clone Wars, and Revenge of the Sith, and were now being used in this the Star Wars because that's where maybe perhaps they were conceived. We won't fully know unless we've been through all of the inspirational artwork, the Ralph McQuarrie stuff, even some of the stuff that was rejected initially or was an early iteration of a classic ship that was done at ILM. As you know, if you've been watching Light and Magic, the documentary on ILM and how it came to be and how it supported the creation of all the effects for Star Wars and a lot of the models, particularly iconic models of the spaceships, those iterations happened there a lot of the time. And there were many that were rejected, some that were accepted, some that were concept pieces of art, others that were full-blown models that were brought up and were rejected or reused or repurposed and sometimes held out, not for the Star Wars, but maybe even brought back in for the prequels. This amalgamation, this synthesis of all of these earlier influences then now being applied into the Star Wars is absolutely fascinating. Now, this month, for the remainder of the year, we will turn our attention to another limited series run that was originally put up by Dark Horse, but of course now, with all the Star Wars properties being acquired by Disney, are now Marvel properties. The Star Wars Splinter of the Mind's Eye comic adaptation of that iconic story that really captivated us Star Wars fans as we were waiting for the next Star Wars film to come out from A New Hope into Empire Strikes Back. And for those of us craving Star Wars content, that novel was a revelation and really satiated the appetites of a rabid fan base that grew to be a phenomenon here in 1977 onward. Well, this would be the graphic novel adaptation done in the 90s, and we 
We'll be covering that for the remainder of the year. We hope that you join us this month in the start of that read of Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Obi-Wan, take us out. Your destiny lies above the different parts of your mind. The Force will be with you. Always. This Marvel Legends comic book series is dedicated in loving memory of Charles Lippincott, who George Lucas hired in late 1975 to join the first Star Wars production as Vice President of Advertising, Publicity, Promotion, and Merchandising. To quote George, Charlie was one of the founding pillars of the Star Wars films and phenomenon. He began in earnest the concept of licensing motion pictures at a time when only other company doing so was Disney. Charlie was the one who said early on that we can make this work and was the first person to both develop Star Wars licensing and engage with the fans. He had insights into marketing and public relations that were truly unparalleled and prime example of that is San Diego Comic-Con today. Charlie is widely credited for setting the trajectory of Star Wars fandom with his grassroots-style convention presentations beginning in 1976, well before the release of the first film. Those early appearances included Mark Hamill, who accompanied Charlie on a promotional tour for Star Wars, this barnstorming of conventions celebrating science fiction, fantasy, and comic books resulted in movie theaters welcoming large crowds of fans on Star Wars opening day, due in large part to Charlie's early promotional efforts. In addition, Charlie sought out the very first comic book and toy deals with Marvel and Kenner, now Hasbro, respectively, two iconic legacies that continue to this day. Thank you, Charlie, for Star Wars comics becoming a reality, and that's what this Legends series is all about. The Force will be with him always.